Hey, John, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? I'm great. Excellent, excellent. You cold? Got a hat on, I see. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I could take it off. Let's see. No, 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 it's fine. I'm not, it's, it's not going to be a video thing, so uh, don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> so, how's it going? Um, it's going great. I uh, I had such a great time. I just got back from Glasgow on, on Monday um, and it had an amazing week. It was like one of the best weeks. Probably, <laughs> probably like amplified it in greatness because of how, what I've done for the last two years, which is like basically nothing. But <laughs> to be in an amazing city and, uh, uh, you know, going to seeing seeing our movie in a theater filled with sold out full of people and 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 communicating on a Q&A and seeing other movies and and talking to buyers and making deals and oh it was nice, just, nice. It was incredible it was incredible and thanks thanks so much for your uh for your lovely review of the movie yeah uh, no problem uh I liked it so yeah it was it was an easy one to write so yeah so good right so obviously Two years ago, you were at the Glasgow Film Festival with James versus Future Self. It was towards, I think that was towards the end of its sort of festival run, wasn't it, at that point? You you looked a bit world-weary at that point, um, I think yeah. it had been six months on the road promoting it. So that was the end of February, start of March 2020, and then here we are now. Ashgrove has just premiered at the Glasgow Film Festival this year. Two-year gap in between where basically very little has been going on. So what was your timeline between that and actually rocking up at Glasgow for the, the premiere on the 3rd of March? Yeah, two years exactly uh, between my, my two Glasgow trips. When we were there two years ago, we had we had hatched the the idea for uh, for Ashgrove a few months earlier. Uh, in fact, we we came up with the idea while we were driving from in Canada from one film festival to another. It was a three hour drive between Calgary and Edmonton, and we said, Jeremy, my co writer and director, and I, we were like, "What do we want to do for our next movie?" And we started to like come up with uh, you know crank out ideas. And by the end of that three hour ride, we, we sort of figured out what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. So by the time we were in, in Glasgow two years ago, we had, we had our, we, we, we had our, our uh, most of our cast. We had, the film was kind of ready to go. When I came back from Glasgow in, in March, the world shut down. Uh, in yeah. fact, I remember being in the airport, leaving Glasgow and there were these, it was first week of March. So there were signs saying, use hand sanitizer. And we were thinking, <laughs> That's weird. Why would we do that? Uh, but there, you know, and then so we got back and we were locked down. And, you know, like everybody else, I've spent those first six months in my home um, with my family and writing and making great coffee and baking bread. And I learned, I learned how to play the ukulele. I ordered a ukulele and figured out how to play it, which is in the movie. Yeah, so I thought, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then September rolled around, September 2020, and, and in, in Canada, film productions just were starting to creep back into action. And we thought we were already planning on shooting this movie in a, a one remote location with very few people. We had like, I think we had 18 people cast and crew included. And uh, we just bubbled and, and basically quarantined ourselves on this farm for a few weeks and made the, made the film there. Excellent. So as I say, it premiered at the film festival on the 3rd of March. So how was that experience for you? Obviously, this is, I think this is probably your first premiere outside of sort of uh, North America, Canada, US sort of thing. This is, so what was it like actually 
bringing it to a, an audience that wasn't sort of native to your own country? Was it was it easy? Was it was there a certain amount of trepidation involved with it? No trepidation whatsoever. Although you make a good point, this is my seventh film as a writer, producer, actor, and and uh, it's the first one that had its world premiere out, outside of Canada. So I never thought about mm -hmm. that. John. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Um, That's okay. <laughs> it, was a, it was a dream come true. I mean, we made the film as as an experiment. You know, I can get more into it, but we, we made it in an unconventional way that none of us mm -hmm. had done before. And and all the way through our motto was let's give ourselves permission to fail. Like let's let's give ourselves permission. Let's let's not see this as a as a necessarily as a movie that anyone will ever see. And so when you free yourself of those kinds of thoughts and restrictions and guideposts, you can really explore some interesting things. So the fact that we that the film came off the way that it did and and that Glasgow invited us there for a world premiere. Glasgow is why I mean in Canada and around the world it's widely considered like a top tier festival. We were so excited and and I never once thought about oh this is not a Canadian audience. The the film is sure it's Canadian because there's canoes in it and it <laughs> and it happens you know out in the out in the out a farm but but it's it, we like to think of it as a universal kind of story, and I think that's one of the reasons why people are responding to it. So going to Glasgow to show it to great audiences at the Glasgow Film Festival. So we knew we were mm -hmm. going to have a good house and lovely people who work at the festival. And it was, it was not. I was I was so excited, and it, it I was not disappointed by the experience. Excellent, oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. So going into the film itself, the very opening scene of the film basically gives you the whole sort of background. It, it builds the world, if you like. It's a radio interview mm -hmm. with Jennifer. Um, how important was it to get the sort of world building done as quickly as possible and to get that out of the way? Was that a conscious decision to have that at the start rather than drip feeding it? Or No, it wasn't. It was a, That was a, la, a late addition uh, in, the, in the editing process. Originally, we, we wanted to not have any exposition or explanation as to the world and, and let our audience sort of figure it out as they went along. Mm -hmm. But what we discovered in the, when we were editing the film and showing it to people was that there's already so much in the movie that plays as, as mystery, as a riddle, as a puzzle, that the audience really needed a very clear, firm grounding as far as the backstory of what's happening on planet Earth and why are mm -hmm. we showing these people's experience of it. And so we, we realized that we needed to to uh, to solve that problem. And so at first, the first versions of it, we had like scroll text, text on the screen explaining what, and it just felt too academic and mm -hmm. false and kind of expositional and then we came up with this idea of a radio interview where you're hiding the backstory inside questions and so we also saw it as an opportunity to explore the character of jennifer ashgrove in the way that she answers questions what you're really learning is who this woman is and what her position is emotionally at the beginning of the movie while hiding information about the water uh, crisis and the state of the world. So anytime that you can hide exposition inside character development, that's, that's uh, I forget, one of the great screenwriting academics wrote, wrote it and there might've been um, uh, McKee or 
Save the Cat. One of these famous screenwriting books, you know, talks about using uh, exposition, hiding it inside character development. So that's what we tried to do. Oh, it was excellent. It was very well done. And like you say, you could tell by the way that she was answering the questions, the pauses when they were talking about the strain in her marriage and things like that, how, how it affected her and all that. It was, it was very clever. Obviously, the there's a water pandemic that is the background to the story. And it's just... You, you don't really go into any depth about how that happened or anything like that. Now, you used a similar device in a, a different way in your previous film when you talked about time travel, and mm -hmm. it was just time travels. It works, it happens, it messes you up, you know, that kind of thing. It just keeps you going. <laughs> I take it that was deliberate as well because you're wanting to get into the character drama rather than having to constantly explain the science or uh, the world around it. I take it that's what that was, yeah. Yeah, very much so. And and I credit Jeremy, my, my co-writer and director of the film, Jeremy Lalonde, with that because like we did with the time travel movie two years ago, we did a ton of research. I did so much research. I spoke to water, water scientists. I spoke to chemists. I spoke to memory uh, specialists about you know some of the memory issues uh, in the film, talked to a lot of scientists. Um, and then Jeremy and I constructed very elaborate um, backstory for what's happening. So the science of this water crisis, we are very clear on it. Jeremy and I could I could bore you to tears about what is biochemically <laughs> happening right now in this movie uh, with with water and the human body. And it's and I actually think it's really fascinating. Like I I love what we've come up with. And so once you have all of that information and that knowledge and that data inside your you know writer brains. Then you have to figure out, well, how much of it is necessary to tell a compelling story? How much of it is too much uh, that will, will distract or bore your audience? And, and part of it, so the skill is really just trying to find the, just the right amount of that information to convey so that it doesn't become cloying um, versus not having enough. So you know, it's funny because a lot of the critics and, and, the, and the interviews and the reviews talk about this as a water pandemic. We refer to it as a water pandemic in the movie. But everyone assumes that it means that something's happened to the world's water supply. But in fact, John, the world's water supply has remained the same. It's our bodies in the film that have mutated and changed so that the, the viral impact on the body is that it's pulling water apart as we consume it. Mm into hydrogen and oxygen and the hydrogen is making us toxic. And so it's our bodies that are turning water against us, you know, and, and, and that was an important metaphor for us. I love this idea that the very thing that we need to survive water becomes mm -hmm. the very thing that is killing us. And, you know, in a movie about love and toxicity and infidelity um, and human emotional need, neediness, all of those things. I, I like the way that that, that plays against the backdrop of this thing that we need biochemically that is turned on us, you know? Nice. That's excellent. You mentioned about the writing process with yourself and Jeremy, obviously Amanda was involved in the writing and the well. Did she come on at a later stage? Cause obviously you said earlier you had the initial idea on your journey across vasts of Canada uh, between yourself and Jeremy. So when did Amanda come in and what was her contribution to the, the process? Yeah, she came on right away. So it was a three-hour car ride where, 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 <laughs> where we hatched the, the basic idea and, and decided we wanted to center it around a female a woman, a, a doctor, the, a world-leading water scientist. And when we arrived at our destination three hours later, the first thing we did was 
Jeremy called Amanda and said, we'd like to offer you this part and invite you into the writing process and have, have this be a true collaboration. And she immediately said, yes, she loved the experimental nature of it, uh, of building the world with us and building the characters. And from there, we built the characters together mm -hmm. uh, individually. Uh, all the actors in the film actually designed their own characters with Jeremy and I and Amanda. And so, so Amanda was instrumental, but we, we, in the ex nature of this experimental way of making this movie and, and, and making it differently than we've made our previous films, we didn't have a, a tight, lean script that we worked on for months and months and months as we usually do. Jeremy and I are fastidious rewriters and we work our scripts in, to the bone. This one, we wanted to keep it open for changes along the way. And so we shot the movie chronologically. And in many cases, we were able to keep secrets from the actors uh, up until those secrets are revealed on camera. So a lot of the stuff mm -hmm. you see in the movie where characters are deducing things or solving a puzzle or uh, making revela having revelations, those are actually happening to the actor as well as the characters. So it was a very, very free kind of free form experience of how to write a film and make a film. I thought it was quite interesting the way that the characters, especially uh, yourself and Amanda interacted because there was obviously an obvious tension there right from the very start, which was sort of foreshadowed with the radio interview. Now, how did you, was, it, was that just all done through the rehearsal process between yourself and Amanda to get this sort of interaction going between you the it's almost like a love-hate relationship because there's obviously underlying tensions there that they're trying to gloss over and I think at one point when they're away for the weekend they say right they set the rules they're not going to be they're not going to do certain things to each other in order to try and keep it civil and keep things going I take it that just all evolved as part of the process yeah yeah, very much so. And 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 then the, the, when you say rehearsal process, we never once rehearsed a single scene before the day before we were shooting. And, and <laughs> well, instead, wow. I know it's great. What we did instead was we spent one year, <clears throat> excuse me, one year backstorying the characters and the relationships. So by the time we showed up to shoot this movie, Amanda and Jeremy and I knew in excruciating detail who these people were how they grew up, what their family lives were like, how they met, how their relationship evolved, where they'd been together, what they ate together, how, what their sex life was like. We just backstoried them like, like crazy. And, and so we had this very full picture of who they were and what their relationship was by the time we arrived on set and we just rolled into it with all of that knowledge behind us. And what it allowed us to do was really feel the sort of freedom to play with each other knowing we had a shared experience and oftentimes on camera you know amanda will will improvise a detail about our past and i will either know about it because we talked about it you know two weeks earlier or a month or six months earlier or i'll roll with it as a, you know as part of the improvisation of of some of that some of those scenes so an unusual rehearsal period that mostly involved journaling and sharing information about who we were and where we come from. The relationship between yourself and Amanda, obviously Amanda is this top scientist, uh, Jennifer, who is working on the, the crisis to do with water and mm. 
to to be generous to self, you're like a almost like a stay at home husband as part <laughs> of this. Um, you can see a difference between the two characters just in the the way that they're presented to the world. Like Amanda is very business like in her portrayal of of Jennifer. She's always uh, very well presented. She obviously she's the almost like the spokesperson for. Uh, the effort to try and work out what was going on. But you are at home now. I take it that was all deliberate and the, the fact that the differences between yourself, like most of the time you're wearing like sort of check shorts and very casual and you almost look kind of beaten down at mm-hmm. times. I mean, I take it that was all part of your, your process of getting into the character, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. We looked very carefully at what would it be like if you were... Um, you know, self-employed or unemployed or unmotivated, and your partner was literally the most important person, you know, in the world, <laughs> uh, to put it, you know, extremely. Uh, and what does that do to your self-esteem? What does it do to your your sense of being, of your feeling of your place in the world? And that became, you know, the essential conflict between these two characters was how do you bridge that divide um, and, and what does it mean? And it's really interesting because we came up with this dynamic and this story months before COVID was even a word that we knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so suddenly while we're shooting the movie, there are individuals on planet earth who are racing to create a, a vaccine uh, who are in labs 24 seven, who feel the weight of the world literally on their shoulders and so in a sense, our, our movie is, is kind of about those people, I guess, and, yeah. and, and, and the people that they're married to or live with or, or have relationships with and how, how does it affect them on a, on a you know, micro level. So we didn't realize that was the story we were developing, but it, it, so it changed contextually very much when, when COVID hit. Nice one. You mentioned earlier, obviously, about learning how to play the ukulele in your downtime, which is actually quite a, a, a useful way to spend some of your time. Um, I take it that was incorporated later on into the, the script and the film itself. Were you worried at all about actually playing a musical instrument live on, <laughs> on a film set? <laughs> uh, a little bit. I mean, I think I was, it was, I was lucky because the character was also just learning the instrument, so a lot of room yeah. for me to... I mean, I taught myself that instrument, you know, between March and June of 2020 when we were all in our homes. I don't have any technique. I never learned <laughs> technique. I, I, you know, I'm figuring it out by ear. So I, I thought it would be a fun way to incorporate a little bit of what was actually happening in my world and my life into the movie. Um, and this, the song in the movie uh, is improvised. Uh, you know, the idea is let's make up a song. But to be fair, our, our, our brilliant composer, Ian Lefebvre, uh, he actually wrote the music for that song and taught it to me painstakingly and not easily. Uh, <laughs> poor guy uh, over Zoom uh, a week before we, I went up to shoot it. And so the music had been pre-written, but the lyrics we we came up with on the day. Technically, we, we wrote the lyrics about an hour and a half before the scene. But um, but there it was all pretty real what you're seeing in that scene. I noticed that um, as well as obviously you playing the ukulele, there was elements of ukulele playing in the composition that Ian had actually added to it. Was that inspired by yourself or was it to try and mask some of you, your playing <laughs> to sort of show you up a wee bit maybe? No, man, no. He was, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a pretty brilliant guy. He was actually, he did the music as well for 
our last film two years ago, mm -hmm. the one you referenced, yeah. James versus the Future South. And in fact, he was nominated for two Canadian Academy Awards for his music on that film. I just want to plug him because he he's such a genius. So he composed all the music for Ashgrove and yeah, utilizing elements from what we'd sh filmed and what we'd shot. You know, I think he was very inspired by what we did on the day and what we showed him when we got the footage to him. Uh, he was really excited to put music to it. And, and, and as a result, as you saw, he wrote, he wrote a handful of original songs um, that are all in the movie. And yeah, I think, uh, I think ukulele is a piece of it. <laughs> you've obviously mentioned that you've been working with Jeremy on a couple of films now, and obviously Ian as well. Is this part of a sort of a collective, a troupe, if you like, that you're, you, sorry, you like working with the same people because of the, the shorthand nature of that? How does that all work? Is, is that something that you, you like doing? Yeah, that's exactly it, John, is that I, I've made my films so far have all been with the same two directors. So I've got Jeremy on the one hand, and I've got another director that I've made a bunch of films with. And I hope that I continue to make films with these people. Uh, I, I like finding um, a collaboration that works. It doesn't always work, as you know. Uh, uh, but with, with Jeremy, we we get it. We get each other. We have a similar sense of humor. And yet we're very different as far as the way that we approach um, material, which complements each other in a way. I mean, he's really good at at pulling me back and I'm really good at pushing him a little bit forward and challenging him. And we kind of have this lovely relationship. And I enjoy working with him. I think life is too short to work with assholes. And if you, <laughs> if you have a chance to work with your friends and your friends are talented and you get along, why wouldn't you, you know? Mm -hmm. So on your uh, website, the uh, Banana Moon Sky Productions website, you are listed as producer and not just someone who talks to the producer uh, in order to get things done. You basically do a bit of everything. Is that through necessity or is that through control because you, you like to get things done? A little bit of both. The necessity part, I realized early on in my career that nobody was more motivated to get these movies up and running than I was. I mean, I, I mm -hmm. it started off as actor is my number one thing. Like acting is my great joy in life. And if I could just act every day for the rest of my life, I would be like a kid on the playground. I would just be <laughs> joyous all the time. But unfortunately actors, they have to wait for that phone to ring for their agent to give them get them a job or an audition or an offer. And I just don't like waiting around. So I started writing about 20 years ago just started writing as a way of creating stories for myself, thinking, you know, if I can write these stories, maybe I can get them made. And then the next step after that was realizing that you're also then at the mercy of producers and money people to get these stories up. And I, I, I just couldn't wait around. So I, I started producing out of necessity to get the stories told. And yeah, I, I realized as much as I hate producing, um, you know, <laughs> I, I figured out a way to do it that I'm pretty good at. So, you know, and that's not, that's not me being, I don't think that's me being cocky. I just, it's really hard yeah. to, get, to get a movie made. I mean, it's, it's not just one miracle to get a movie made. It's a succession mm -hmm. of miracles that are all on, on top of each other that have to happen in succession to get a movie made. And, you know, I've done a few of them now. So <clears throat> I hope that um, I get to a point in my career where other producers, this actually just happened to me in, in the fall, uh, uh, another producer 
optioned one of my scripts and said, we want to make this movie right now, exactly as you wrote it with you in the lead and hiring your favorite director. And I said, so I get all the great things that I want to do out out of this. And I don't have to do the hard part, which is finding the money and hiring the crew and firing people and insurance and banks and documents and lawyers. See, I'm putting, I'm going to put your, listeners to sleep with all that <laughs> no 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 it's all no producing is agonizing and and so so i do it because i i want to get these films made has it been even more of a struggle over the last two years with the fact that everything's been locked down i take it that's not helped with trying to get financing for mm-hmm. films and things like that you'd, you'd think that it would be but yeah. miraculously my career the last year and a half has been the best year and a half for me career-wise. I shot this movie, as you know, a year and a half ago, and now I'm traveling the world with it. And then, and then I just finished shooting this film in January that I just told you about as a comedy. And then I've got already got the funding raised for my next film, which we're shooting in the summer. So three movies in a year and a half or two years, that's, that is by far my best pace so far usually takes me, you know, three to five years to get a single movie made. And so I've been doing great. Maybe it's just because we all had more time to like focus. I, I, I took four or five months off from everything when it happened, when March, 2020 happened, I said, ah, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do anything. Didn't lift a finger. Didn't write a word of screenplay. Didn't make a single work call. And then, you know, by about May or June, I got itchy and I had to get, <laughs> and I jumped back in with like, full force it was like that that those three or four months recharged the battery yeah uh, motivational battery and i just was like an energizer bunny I, I don't know if that's a commercial in in the uk oh yeah yeah oh yeah no, i know exactly <laughs> what you mean yeah <laughs> i'm intrigued by the title of your production company banana moon sky productions what does that actually mean? i know banana moon is like the shape of the moon but why did you choose that so something quite personal you're very personal well, you, yeah. All right, you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> no, I can tell you, I, my my daughter, uh, who's twelve now, uh, her for the first time, uh, your child strings words together in, mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a kind of sentence. It's it's a big moment. It's like up until that point, it's just daddy, milk, you know, water. The first time they string them together, it's a kind of a pivotal moment. And for me, the first time I remember my daughter stringing words together was she's holding my her little hand in my hand and we stepped outside and she looked up at the sky and her little eyes lit up. She must've been two. And she pointed at the sky and she said, dada, dada, banana moon sky. And was, <laughs> you know, trying to say that the, that the moon looked like a banana in the sky. And I, and I, I got tears in my eyes and it was right at that time, 10 years ago that I was, Try, that I had to name my production company because I had just found mm-hmm. it. And I thought, and it was, well, that's it. It's Banana Moon Sky. So. Oh, that's, that's lovely. If it was uh, my daughter, it would just be called No because <laughs> that's basically everything that she said to me for the yeah. first couple of years. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> going back to the film itself, uh, the title of the film, Ashgrove, yeah. Yeah. I, obviously it's the, the character's surname, but has it also got something to do with the old Welsh folk song as well? Has it got anything to do with that at all? Because I, I didn't know I had a, a, a wee look online and there's obviously this old folk song called the Ashgrove and there's various forms of lyrics that are associated with it. It's sort of evolved over, it's been like two centuries or something that's been on the go. And um, one of the sets of lyrics talks about 
going uh, like reminiscence of a loved one and there's another set of lyrics that talks about uh, someone going and basically going to a happy place in their mind going back and reminiscing about a place and things like that which seemed to obviously fit very well with the film was that anything to do with it or was that, is that just a happy coincidence a very happy coincidence and and john you're the first person to mention this to me i gotta tell you i'm gonna get off when we get off this call the first thing i'm gonna do is google this <laughs> because i had no idea ashgrove was literally the so the property that we filmed the movie on that 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 farm house and the and the, and the acreage belongs to jeremy lalon my co-writer director that's his wife's family farm property it's been in their family for you know, over a century, and it's a it's a heritage site. And, and things aren't that old here in Canada. I just came from Scotland, where every turn, it's like <laughs> from the 16th century. But it's like one of the oldest things in Canada. And and we shot the whole movie on that property. And when you open the gates, as you'll see in the opening of the movie, you open the gates, and there's a sign that says Ashgrove. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know the origin of why the property was called Ashgrove, but that's the name of the property. So we decided to retroactively name the character that, and also the film no uh knowledge that there's a welsh folk song a traditional welsh folk song called ashgrove i will look that up oh. well that's good so i'll just finish up now as well obviously the film's premiered it's going to be playing at the canadian film festival on the 26th of this month i believe and what what's happening after that what's the sort of future for ashgrove have you made are you, are you in talks with uh, distribution people that kind of thing to get something done with it yeah yeah um yes we actually will it'll announce tomorrow but there's a i guess by the time your podcast is out it'll be public information there's an american film festival called cinequest uh mm -hmm. that'll be our u.s premiere uh in april um and then we'll continue to play film festivals throughout the year uh, into the fall in canada we've already sold the movie to uh, a company here that's going to put it in theaters which I didn't. Wow. I didn't know that that happened anymore. So the movie will, will have a, <laughs> a theatrical release, uh, and then it's already been sold to some TV broadcasters here. And so Canada, it'll have a good, healthy life. And um, one of the outcomes of our of our triumphant Glasgow premiere was we we have a bunch of um, offers on the table for UK distribution and international sales. Nothing to announce to you yet, but you yeah, know, of course, yeah. it looks like the movie will find some kind of an audience, uh, mm -hmm. uh, which is, as I said, when we set out to make it, we did not know if that was the case. So we were giving ourselves an out. And uh, But it's very exciting. People are, are, are going to get to see the movie. So there will be a UK release um, at some point this year. And I'll let you know about it. You can, uh, you can let it. Yeah, let your... oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'd, I'll put the word out there again about it, which uh, is always very easy to do for something that I really enjoyed and something that comes along and you think yeah it's yeah. something a, a wee bit different it's something very interesting so i think that's that's it from myself i've, I've kind of run out of uh, stupid questions to ask you so, <laughs> <laughs> so so thank you very much joining us it was absolutely excellent yeah my pleasure john it was a real joy talking to you and and thanks again for all the attention and the love that you're raining down on on our movie I, i'm greatly yeah. i'm greatly appreciative yep no problem that's brilliant thank you very much all right man